0: Welcome listeners to Dark Tides, a weekly paranormal actual play podcast. I'm your host, show creator and narrator, Aubrey Liddon With me as is just the way of the universe now. We've been doing this for a year. It's Chester and BJ. We're still going. Going strong. Crazy we've, we've stuff. We've got season three sorted. We did it. We've got season three and we've got three miniseries that are going to come between season two and season three.
1: It's going to be so good. Don't spoil it, Aubrey.
0: It's all coming up, Millhouse. You've never watched The Simpsons. (sighs) Not really, but I seem to
1: know every episode. Kind of been thinking and planning about this for, what, probably four or five months now? Uh, And then in about 20 minutes before we started recording this episode, we
2: were like, let's do this. All right, solved it. Let's record an episode now. (laughs) That's completely different to what we were going to do anyway. Yeah. So how's everyone going? I'm
0: here. Fun facts, no facts recommendations, hot takes, cold
1: coffee. I I had coffee. I've finished it now. That's sad. Hi, my name is BJ. I play Alistair Stern, the the chocolatey, angsty boy. 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 Uh, boy yeah, I, don't, I don't B-O- have a fun
2: fact. <laughs> Here's a question. Why is Alistair still angsty?
1: What reason is It's not like he, he has
2: some, like, some, like insecurity or something he can basically do anything
1: well and the thing is he's actually not really that angsty anymore it's just that like you know i i wrote that as like one of the central themes of my season two intro like before we'd started recording season two so before i knew what alistair was going to be like in the season and it's just kind of stuck so he's not that angsty but he does still have kind of badly bleached hair so i feel like that's enough listen to you take a take a leaflet out of
2: my flyer that doesn't
0: work because you wouldn't have had time to write a book. Yeah, because
2: <laughs> <laughs> Chester's not going to write a book. Yeah, um, you nice. you can always cut out just that little bit from your word document, the angsty bit. I know it's tradition. Yeah. I know it's uh, you know it's part of who he is, but it's also not part of who he is. You, don't, you understand how Word works?
1: How do I? How you do I just select him, it? i play Alistair Stern, the former emo, <laughs> the, the chocolate and... milky boy. And no. champion of angst uh, <laughs> It would be more like uh, Alistair But he Stern, does still like chocolate milk
0: The curb stomping, gung-ho, tear agent savant What does sure. savant mean, yeah. Aubrey? Yeah, he's, like a, he's
1: a secret agent that can kind of see the future sometimes And he wears black a lot
0: I would actually say that the, his ability to actually see the future in Little Glimpses
2: is
1: probably more important than the chocolate milk
2: bit. No, Aubrey, you're crazy. You're crazy,
1: Albo, no, get out of here. You're, <laughs> you're completely right, but that, that argument assumes that I'm giving the most important parts of my character as my intro.
0: I, I kind of feel like BJ's been holding out of us. I really suspect that uh, the chocolate milk is the source of that power. It's the <laughs> it's trigger. Like,
1: Oh, is it? I think it's like Men in Black 3 when he time travels. It's like one of the main side effects from time travel is that he wants
2: to drink chocolate milk.
1: <laughs> That's It's the same thing. It's like it's all of the time glimpsing is what is why he needs chocolate milk all the time.
2: Hello, everybody. My name is Chester Linden, and I play Heath O'Sullivan. Thank you for coming. Welcome to my TED Talk. Welcome to my TED Talk. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Thank you for buying my pamphlet and taking a leaflet out of it. Bonjour. A
1: pamphlet leaflet? Is that it? Wow.
2: <laughs> yeah. You're not going to say anything about Heath? Uh, Heath, he's around, dabbing on them haters. Technically in hole, still in alive. Hole. Quote, unquote, what type of life he'll have after this, you know, trauma. That's all right. A little trauma. He's doing all right. We're all doing all right. We out here. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Let's just, let's yep. just start the episode. Yeah
0: yeah cool. all right we're gonna start now. Is, that okay with listeners? now
1: is it okay if we start is that all right we just want to check with you first you don't want more pointless banter because you, you remember know. when this show was funny
0: <laughs> no not really <laughs> i don't know many people that would say that it was funny People like the idea of communist garden gnomes But I think that was about it They didn't like the reality Because the reality is the socialist
2: state is not as pretty as you think Alright, we're gonna get started No one thinks it's mm -hmm. pretty, Aubrey don't, you can't just come whipping these uni <laughs> sayings out and think no one's going to actually call you out on it.
1: I went to college. Belief from other people that you briefly met at uni.
0: Yeah, I'll be. Nah, let's not. We're not going to go there. All right. We're just going to start.
2: They could be listening.
1: They could be listening. If they are, uh, if you're and listening, they're not supporting us on Patreon, they don't deserve. You're not a real give friend. Us, <laughs> <laughs> give us uh, money. <laughs> No, I'm just thinking. About, I'm just thinking. Man, we're getting earlier and earlier of
0: these demands. Give us money. If you like the show, you can support us on Patreon. But right now, we're just going to do the main show. Give us money.
2: The direct right. offering.
0: But no, we've got things to do. We've got a lot to get through today. Come on, All pick right. up the face.
2: Yeah, right.
0: The salt flats of Utah are lonely and cold. The wind howls across the plain, flicking salt into the air. In a remote corner of this inhospitable place is a research station, a concrete bunker with a satellite dish and a solar array. But the bunker is uninhabited, but immaculately clean, except for where a small explosive charge collapsed the stairs leading to the basement. Trapping Team Wormwood underground with a psychotic rabbit-eared killer. Already he has systematically crippled Heath O'Sullivan and dragged his unconscious body into the deep network of caves beneath the salt flats. Now he's coming for the others. Alistair and Puck, you are in the first of the basement levels. You're in the monitor room uh, where you had watched the fight from the CCTV footage. Uh, You've just seen this bandaged man drag Heath away. What are you doing?
1: Alistair is sitting frozen to the spot, his eyes glued to the screen, as he watches the very blurry, very laggy, stuttery video feed on the screen, as he can barely make out the shape of Heath's body, being dragged into one of the tunnels by this creature that they met between the shadows and the static he can see a faint trail that looks like blood trailing behind heath's feet as they get pulled out of frame and into one of the tunnels and alistair's trying to get a hold on his own thoughts and emotions he's got so many things floating around his mind he's trying to hold back the urge just to immediately run straight back down the corridor and try and save Heath or flurry into an attack against the creature out of rage or something he's trying to compartmentalize what he's seen and what he heard he doesn't know for sure if Heath is dead or if he might still be alive but he's trying to tell himself that he doesn't actually have time to think about that if Heath's dead there's nothing he can do and he'll have to deal with that later if Heath is still alive he can't help him now anyway but the one thought that shines through all that is that if this creature is moving his body it's going further away from where he and Puck are at least for a couple of minutes which buys them just a little bit of time and so he clenches his fists and closes his face screws his eyes up and thinks and goes okay okay ventilation shafts something we need to get out of here and Alistair's going to try and access the computer um, and find see if there's some kind of building schematic or even just like a sensor readout or a map of where the cameras are or something that might give him a clue to a secondary exit and then he's going to look at Puck and go did you check the stairs there's definitely no way we can get out that way
0: yeah roll for the computer skill While you were doing this, Puck is going to nod. She's been looking quite ashen-faced at the monitor watching this. She's going to nod and begin kind of galvanizing herself into motion,
1: trying to keep herself moving as she goes to check the stairs. Did I take any extra stress damage from seeing my teacher get slaughtered?
0: Absolutely. I'd say a good D6. Oh,
1: boy. Uh, Five. I will add that to my... Ooh! He's getting... He's getting close. All right. He's getting close to a chocolate milk break, as I like to call it.
0: Alistair, as you are beginning to feverishly try and manage this computer, you are, you feel a tightness in your chest, almost like heartburn, just like a pain in your chest, and you feel that your breath is coming a little harder, like almost like you're wheezing a little bit. Um... You don't quite know what this feeling is. It's unfamiliar to you. Uh, it's not overwhelming yet. It's nothing too, too distracting yet, but you're aware that your body seems to be reacting even though your
1: mind is trying to stay focused. Okay, so uh, I rolled a nat 1 for my computer schematics, but I, it's a plus 2, so I got a 3, which is not an absolute disaster. So the computer doesn't blow up, but I don't okay. find anything useful. Uh, and no, you I, do not find
0: anything useful.
1: I rolled again as like his sort of basic body awareness and first aid kind of skills to try and understand like what might be happening, whether he's like aware that he's going into shock or whatever. Uh, and that's also a that one, so he has no idea what's going on.
0: No, you are desperately trying to focus on concrete, doable things right now. Yep. Um, you hear Puck's voice from the corridor. It's definitely blocked. I mean, we could dig our way out, but that's going to take hours. We need to find their ventilation shafts. We need we need to do that right now. Right now.
1: Right. No plans on the computer. I'm going to check the storeroom. And Alistair's going to stand up from the computer, pushing the keyboard aside and running into the corridor. And he's going to look into the storage room to try and find if there's like a, a panel that leads into the ceiling or something, something like that that they could use. Uh, make an investigation check.
0: That's a four. The storage room is crowded with boxes. Uh, You can see that there is boxes of specimen jars, there's boxes of different chemicals used for sort of like saline solutions and other sorts of things uh, that might be used in uh, the very basic sort of testing of geological properties. Aubrey's not sure how any of these things work. There's a lot of different chemical compounds in here. There's a lot of tea and coffee and, and napkins and basically sort of running of an office space stuff. There yep. is a vent in the roof uh, that you can see, but it's definitely, it. you don't know how to open it or get to it with a four. Puck got a nine though. She's moved from there. She's moved down into the locker room and she's standing on one of the little, sort of the benches where people would sit to you know, take shoes on and off and that sort of stuff. And she's prying open one of the similar vents in the roof. Okay,
1: uh, Al's going to leave her to it and start thinking to himself. He's like, Puck, I feel like... I think we might need to buy ourselves more time. What do you have I in mind? I don't, uh, I, don't, I don't know how yet, but... Is there anything where in
0: that... Locker room storage stuff that's flammable. Anything that that we could use that we could weaponize?
1: Uh, yes, maybe. Um, okay, uh, look, uh, I'll get started on that. If you, if you keep working here and see if you can find us a way out, I'll see if I can figure out a way to slow him down. Okay. I'll slow it down. All right, uh, I'll be back in a minute. She's in the hallway? She's inside the locker room, which is almost in the hallway. Yeah. I want to try and slow him down as much as possible. Mhm. And my thought is if we can make him really cautious. If I just roll again uh, to search this time I'm searching the spare the the storeroom specifically for things that I could use yeah, like flammable chemicals um yep, make another explosives check. that kind of thing. And that one is a 9.
0: All right, with a nine, you can find several different things. Bleach and some pretty hardcore cleaning solutions uh, that have a pretty strong alcohol content. You can find uh, a few chemical compounds used for the experiments here that are also like grade three flammable liquids, gauze and other sort of burnable cloth. You find uh, even some weak acidic compounds, uh, that sort of thing. Your, your training has covered a few of these sort of things that are useful to have in a crisis. You know that you could probably do a lot with these different chemicals in a very crude way
1: to make some kind of an offensive weapon or trap. Do I find anything like an oxyacetylene bottle or uh, even just a hacksaw or something I can use to cut metal with? Or would that more likely be on the next floor down?
0: Oxy would le- would if it's there at all would be in the next floor down with some more yep. industrial equipment. But you do find a selection of different tools used for taking apart rock samples and other sort of things. You find hammers, um, some blunted sort of chisels. You I would say you can find a saw that's a pretty sort of like a, a hacksaw of sorts.
1: My my thought is I want to try and I. I don't exactly remember what you said the construction of the staircase is, but Alistair's first thought is create a bomb, essentially, to like, like a, a mm-hmm. flammable explosive that he can set at the other end of the corridor to try and set it on fire or delay it somehow. Because essentially there's only one way up, right? So mm-hmm. the, the creature has to come up the stairs and through that first corridor. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is he wants to somehow disable or even just cut the staircase off so that it falls down so that the creature has to, like, instead of just walking up the stairs to get upstairs, it has to somehow scale the wall or something to get up to the next level where they are. But I don't know, like, is it like a freestanding metal structure in a corridor that he could cut the supports and make it collapse or is it going to be more difficult than that? It
0: would be bolted into the wall, but it yep. is effectively freestanding. It's not part of the structure itself. Like there's things you could cut that make that would make sure that it collapses.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, great. Okay. Alistair's going to grab all of the all of the things that are probably going to be the most effective to create a bomb, um, mm-hmm. and he's going to take that back out and put it in the hallway where Puck is. He says. I think I can rig up some kind of explosive with this stuff, but I'm just gonna see if I can get rid of that staircase. Cause if he has to climb up, that will buy us a little bit more time. So I'm gonna head downstairs and uh, see if I can find something to cut it with. And if not, I'll come back up and help you with that. And he nods to the pile of supplies. The vents are
0: too small. They're definitely not meant for this sort of escaping through, which to me seems like, I don't know, a fire hazard or something. But this is what I have done. And she shows you that she has found duct tape and she is like double-sided taped all over the um, your little communicator, your radio that's sending out its distress, distress signal. I'm just going to lob this as far up the shaft as I can and hope that that gets it into range because we can't get up there. Okay. If we can get yep. it outside of the jammer, I think that's our best bet. And I still have mine. So, um, all right. Mechanically, how this is going to work... I'm going to roll for your uh, friendly neighborhood psychopath to see okay. how long you have before he gets to the bottom of the stairs. Okay, and then I'm going to set a timer and that's how long you have in world, like in uh, recording time to prepare everything that you want to prepare. And so I'm going to roll a d20 because minimum, uh, sorry, maximum is going to take him 20 minutes. Pretty lucky. You've got 10 minutes. Your time
1: starts now. Oh boy. All right. Uh, okay, the first thing I'm going to do is re-roll Because before when I was doing the computer schematics I was doing that to figure out if there were ways out of the building That mm-hmm. time I rolled a uh, 10 plus 2 as a 12 Is there any other exit from the, the underground tunnels, is there a way to, from them to get back up to the surface? Or is there a point where it's like really shallow that we could dig our way out or anything like that? Uh,
0: all right. You start going through these files. You are checking for uh, work logs. You're checking to try and get the other camera systems online. One by one, some of the cameras in the tunnels begin to blink on uh, and they are in night mode. They're showing you basically sort of grainy black and white footage where they are trying to kind of see in darkness because the light system that is in there doesn't seem to be working very well. Some rooms are genuinely lit, others are in night vision mode. Uh, You can see that the tunnels must be pretty vast. There seems to be almost 18 camera feeds and that's definitely not all of the ones that should be online. You know that there's at least another 10 that aren't coming online. Yeah, What this leads you to believe is that there's no known way out of the tunnel system yet but there's several points within the tunnels where they get closer to the surface and you know that there's equipment downstairs that they've been using to try and widen
1: tunnels and shore up places that were dangerous so here's the plan probably puck would take care of the explosive because i feel like she probably has knowledge about those kind of things uh, as a defense expert so she Alice is going to get her to rig up an explosive. Is there equipment that we could find that we'd be able to trigger remotely, or is this going to be a we lighted ourselves type of thing? All right, rolling with your twelve. There is a note
0: somewhere in your your checking through of logs uh, that they were allocated a very small amount of relatively low power explosives for tunneling purposes. If they were needed, although it was strongly cautioned that they shouldn't need them. But they do have a small crate somewhere downstairs in the bottom level in a lockup of
1: mining grade small explosives. Okay, great. So, Park's going to make two bombs, two incendiary bombs that are like rigged for creating as much fire as possible. They're not mm-hmm. really going to do much damage explosively, but they're going to throw flammable chemicals everywhere and light it on fire. They're going to set one at the door to the lab room, which is the last room in the corridor that goes down mm-hmm. in the main building. They're going to set one there. We're going to set one at the top of the staircase. And then Alistair's going to... So while she's doing that, Alistair runs downstairs and finds oxysthetaline or some kind of... Like, even just a grinder or just something something he can use for chopping, and he dismantles and collapses the stairs leading up to that second floor with the lab and all of those rooms. Once he's done that and Puck's rigged the explosives and everything, they take uh, all of like the, the things that they can use and carry easily. They drop it down the staircase well, and then they both go down into the underneath area They're going to find anything they can use to tunnel, whether it's like just shovels or whether it's a jackhammer or I don't know, it's probably just shovels, anything that they can carry easily. And then they're going to head to the other tunnel because it's fairly obvious and also they saw which way the creature dragged Heath. And so they're going to go to the other tunnel and they're going to just start running as far along that tunnel as they can to try and find a thin place where they might be able to tunnel out. And so basically the idea is, They've set up all of this defensive equipment in the room to make it look like they've they've cut the stairs off. They've set the explosives up there so that like he will go up that yep. way, making it fairly obvious that they've barricaded themselves in and then they've actually not gone and they've gone down and through one of the other tunnels.
0: I think that's a lot to pack into 10 minutes. Definitely. So the way that we're going to do this is I'm going to get you to roll two D12s. Yeah. Puck is going to roll two D12s. I have a number in mind that is the difficulty rating for getting all this done to satisfaction in the time yep. that you have. Uh, so we're going to see how much you get done and how effective. Still, you will definitely get a good amount of this done. Whether all of it comes failure, together, we,
1: we don't. We miss an element, or we don't get to go downstairs, or something like that. Yeah, I got a two and a twelve, so fourteen. Two and a twelve. Puck got a one
0: and a three. Um your target was 25. Uh 18? your total was 18 out of 25. You are the bombs are, are successfully made. You are cutting through the staircase. You've kind of gathered up the things that you're going to need downstairs and you've come back up to help Puck cut the stairs. You've got a couple of sections done when you begin to hear footsteps. So you two are on the stairs. You are mid preparing them to collapse. You've got the bomb beside you, the one that you were going to leave at the top of the stairs, I believe, when you begin to hear steps.
1: So realizing that the excavation tunnel plan wasn't going to work, which was kind of a last ditch effort anyway, Alistair shuts off the oxysterling and carries it back up the staircase and pushes it in a place where he can like kick it down the stairs so we've set the other bomb which means we could go grab that so he tells puck to to run back down and grab the other bomb that we've placed at the lab Mm -hmm. and the the other one at the top of the stairs is set right we got that done yep so it's like it's there it's set alistair has his foot on the bottles so basically he's going to push those down and then shoot it when it gets down there and then they'll run back along the corridor and trigger the other bomb when he gets to the top. All right.
0: Alistair, you wheel around. You have the... If I understand you correctly, you have this improvised bomb, which I'm going to say is like two different canisters of flammable lab material and like, I don't know, a couple of different... um, Maybe a flare or something from the pack that uh, Puck would have on her that's taped to it. Taped to a detonator or whatever. Um, You have this in your hand?
1: Uh, No, we've placed that at the... At the top of the stairs, and you were going to kick down the stairs. Yeah, so it's next to me. Are you armed? Um, that's a good question. I'm going to think revolver thoughts. Does the gun come into being? You feel the
0: coalescing, creepy, crawly feeling at the back of your neck, and you hear the voice of Faustus,
1: Alistair. This is not good. You don't say this is like Alistair thinking in his head he's not just talking out loud It's like yeah you don't say I don't think trying to fight him it's not gonna work I'm not trying to fight him I'm trying to stay alive mm-hmm. you feel this overwhelming sense of reluctance and even fear as you
0: feel the tingle in your arm and the gun appear
1: Alistair looks down at the bottles and he just thinks you don't need to hit the creature you just need to hit this
0: okay Alistair you see a shadow move across the hallway you see long rabbit like ears you see a head that is sort of misshapen it seems like it has a shape to it that is inhuman in a sense so you can't quite put your finger on what it is And you see this figure step into the stairwell at the bottom. He's looking up at you. He's looking directly at you.
1: There's maybe five metres between you up the stairs. Alistair's holding the gun down, like not pointing it at him. He's got his foot on the bottles. Does he, like, stop when he walks in or does he keep walking? He stops. Alistair freezes for a second, does a little wave with his left hand. So, here we are. He raises
0: a hand almost to, like, waist level and sort of just shakes the palm in a weird little wave at you. Wonderful weather we're
1: having. Yeah, very um, claustrophobic, you might say. Cozy, I would say. He takes one step forwards.
0: Like a deliberate, showy one step. Alistair continues
1: to hold his ground Brave young boy Yeah, well, you know I had a good
0: teacher Had being the optimal word But what happens when I take another step? He takes another step and he
1: is now on the lowest level of the staircase I think you know what happens now and Alistair Kicks the oxysthetylene bottle. They're usually like two because it's oxygen and acetylene like on a on a stand or something. So he kicks the whole stand down so it falls down the staircase. Um and he raises the gun. And I would like to make an attack roll on the bottles to see if it explodes. Alright. So
0: we're gonna roll, I think it's 2D12 for our symmetry between you and yes. the gun. Uh, That's an 8 for me. A 10 for the gun. Roll a d20 to hit. (laughs) It's a 4. Okay, you shoot. The gun comes up snap fast, but almost too fast, as if your reaction time is perfect, but Faustus is also reacting with your own fear and your own anxiety at the situation, and he sort of prematurely, you feel uh, the trigger click forwards. It's almost more the trigger than your finger, uh, and the shot... Passes this figure at the bottom of the stairs. It goes just underneath his shoulder, ping off the concrete wall and disappears. The uh, the oxyacetylene clatters, 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 and he stops it with a hand
1: halfway down the stairs. Oh, nice! Uh, now we we cut some of the supports on the stairs, but did the extra weight of the bottles falling on it, make anything collapse or is the stairs still there? I'm gonna roll a d12. Um, We'll say if it's anything
0: higher than a seven, it remains, anything lower than a seven, it collapses. That's a six. You feel a shuddering and a quaking and you step back smartly as this thing begins to collapse in on itself. There's a squeal of uh, twisting metal. Do you
1: want to take another shot? I would say you have an opportunity. Definitely not, no. The instant he registers that the shot has missed and that the sound of the staircase beginning to give way, and, like, the, the split second that it takes him to process... Okay, push the bottles, the shot's missed, the staircase is collapsing. The next thing he does is he just turns and runs as fast as he can back down the corridor and nods to Puck to stand by to trigger the explosive because she has the detonator.
0: Further down, deep in the maze of tunnels, heath your consciousness slowly returns. You can smell summer grass. You can smell cherry blossoms. You can smell something like summer. You crack open one eye, the other eye seems to be too swollen or caked with blood to open. You can see a gentle green glow from one of the pendants around your neck. From this glow, you can see that you have been stuffed into some kind of a ditch or crack in the ground. You've been wedged in so that your limbs are quite tight. Although, it's hard to know how much of that is your inability to move right now. You feel a dull, radiating pain
2: from everywhere. What would you like to do? He looks down at his glowing pendant. It is
0: a small wooden ring. It's a piece of birch that had been carved into a ring for you very, very long ago. You've had this from childhood and it is glowing with a soft,
2: green-gold light. Heath breathes in, breathes out, squints his eyes closed against the pain, and, using his vertigo ability, wrenches himself up out of the divot and immediately falls forwards onto his stomach and onto his face in the dirt, and he coughs out as his shattered ribs press into him and he gasps fair and then rolls slightly onto his side unable to really make out anything in the dark gloom of the room and he using the vertigo ability now pinpoints specific muscles in his arm and moves his hand shaking like like anything (laughs) as he very rarely has to do this but pinpointing specific muscles pushing them in different directions to move the hand up and along and stretches out one of his fingers and catches it through the ring and he lets it fall stamping the finger into the dirt with the ring around it and blood slowly runs down from his broken knuckles down onto the ring and into the dirt. And he, using the vertigo ability again, shakingly begins to trace a circle in the dirt, leaving behind a trail of his own blood.
0: The circle begins to glow with this same gold-green light. You're half in the circle Uh, As you sort of move your body around to allow you to complete it, your arm, part of your torso and part of your face is in this circle and the smell becomes stronger. You can identify more. You can identify wild peaches and apples. You can identify raspberries and running water. You can identify the bird song that you can't quite pin down what species. And then you hear a voice, but it is three voices speaking at once. And they speak from all around you. The prodigal son returns. How he's grown. What a big strong boy.
2: Heath, welcome. Heath tries to say something but just sputters blood out of his mouth and coughs.
0: Make a quick perception check for me. Sure. Seven, considering you're only using one eye and there's not a lot of light. There are three indistinct figures standing in the dark around you. Uh, It's hard to pin them down. One is very tall and thin. One is short and squat, but small, almost like a child. Another you can't really make out. They seem to be behind you. You do know who these three are Though you don't want to put a name to them They are one and three They are the Fates As you would call them They are representatives of the Fae In a time of trouble he
2: comes to us
0: In a time of trouble he seeks our help The runaway
2: returns
0: What do you have to offer?
2: He cranes his head slightly up and raises his hand, pulling the finger back with the vertigo ability and pushes his fist down into the centre of the ground.
0: Everything. Everything. You now hear only one voice. Not the three all speaking in unison, but just one. And the small figure, the one the size of a child... Gets close, and you can see his face in this uh, slightly shimmering light. His face is wizened and old, like an apple that's dried in the sun. Everything is wrinkles. His skin is a light blue streaked with grey. His eyes are yellow, like cat's eyes. Clenched between crooked teeth, he has a little corn cob pipe, which he takes from his mouth. Everything is at oil. Well, we might want something a little more specific than everything. He puts the pipe between his teeth again and hisses blue smoke out of his nose. Save them. Save them. Bring help, anyone? Hmm. You see a twinkle in the eye. A literal twinkle of light that is not there. It's not reflected from anywhere. It's light in the eye itself. We can send you help.
2: But in exchange, we're going to need some help from you. I know how it works. I'll do anything. The deal is struck, Keith,
0: The son of the Fae once again. And just because you've been a good boy, we'll look after those injuries for you. And he reaches out and he taps your forehead and you fall into unconsciousness again. You fall into a deep sleep. You hear the sound of birdsong and running water. And the light from your ring begins to bathe your entire body. It begins to re-knit skin. begins to mend bone. But it's happening slowly, this is going to be a process that takes a while.
1: We interrupt your regularly scheduled rabbit-themed horror programming for just a moment to give a big thank you to our two newest patrons. So thank you to Death Cat and Addie Errolan for supporting us on Patreon. Patreon is a service that allows creators like us to be supported by the people who listen to our show, which is pretty cool. So if you want to go check that out, you can head to Patreon.com where we have a whole bunch of bonus content, bonus materials, behind the scenes episodes, other shows, all sorts of things that you can unlock if you're interested in doing that and if that's something that's available to you. And if not, hey, you're listening to the show. That's a massive support as it is. So thank you very much for being here. And of course, a big thank you to Deathcat and Addie Erelin for showing your support and joining us in this crazy dark tide adventure. And now on with the show.
0: turn to Alistair and Puck Puck is waiting midway down this corridor, she has the other bomb in her hand she
1: has her 9mm in her right hand and she's waiting for you Alistair Okay, Alistair runs along the corridor as fast as he can and then dives into the turn which is to the right from the way he's running onto the ground and then sits with his back up against the wall so that the corridor behind him where the creature is going to come from is just to his left. holds up the gun, locks eyes with puck and then holds up his left hand with five fingers outstretched and then slowly takes one away. Four, three, two, one. Closes into a fist and nods. Puck depresses the little button.
0: You hear a rending crash, an explosion that ripples out. You feel the entire building shake as this is detonated in the hallway. You have... Your hands clamped over your ears, but even still, your head is ringing. There is dust settling over you, uh, and you feel a rumble, and you begin to worry about the structural integrity of this place with a second explosion in a very small concrete bunker. Puck
1: has knelt just by you. Alistair gives her a quick little nod and almost the faintest ghost of a smile as if to say, that was effective, well done. They just share that look for just a second and then Alistair turns and points the gun just around the corner and looks and aims down to shoot at anything that's going to come through and then speaks through his mind to Faustus and says, so are you going to help me or not? As he's training the revolver down the corridor and you can see the flames leaping up from around the corner where the staircase used to be and he's readying himself to fire everything he has at anything that comes around the corner.
0: You are training the gun, and you then feel this cold sweat begin to break out over you as you hear Faustus, in a trembling voice, say, No. No, 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 run. Alistair, you turn your head slightly, and you are nearly face-to-face, nearly nose-to-nose with the bloodied, stained bandages of the Psycho.
1: Wait, how did he get
0: there then? Well, with a nat 12 on his speed check, he was up the stairs before the bomb exploded. You're training the gun down the corridor and he is like sitting right opposite you. He's like down on his haunches, like squatting down right next to you, looking down the corridor as well, like in the same direction as you. He's looking down the corridor, and he just looks at you, and he's almost
1: nose-to-nose with you. He's like,
0: "That's pretty impressive.
1: Okay, I rolled a four. So Alistair flinches very violently. Yeah. (laughs) And then in, like, the the pause while he's speaking, Alistair, like, tries to wheel around because his entire plan revolves around trapping it on the other side of the staircase. Um, And so the last thing that he kind of thinks is to Faustus as the gun, I assume, disappears out of his hand. Uh Mm-hmm fine then get out of my head and he's gonna reach for his switchblades but not fast enough and he's gonna grab your head Mega speed check it's a five what did it get it got an 11 but no it didn't because can i substitute its speed roll please absolutely you can use your prescience uh so i haven't i rolled at the beginning of last episode i have a nine and a three so i'm gonna substitute its 11 for a three Its head, sorry,
0: its hand flashes out to grab your skull, but knowing what's coming, as you close your eyes as you flinch, you see this happening uh, in this sort of monochrome dream world, almost, of prescience. You duck your head, you kind of drop your shoulder and duck your head, and you feel his hand graze over your shoulder and impact the concrete wall, and you see a little spider cracks across the concrete where it hit as you duck down and you grab for your knife. As you do so, you grab your knife. You got um, a four, which means that you get there faster than him. But Puck got an 11. Puck steps in with all of her might and the bowie knife, and she
1: drives the bowie knife into
0: his neck with everything that she has.
1: Alistair, seeing that Puck is going for his neck, he, um, grabbing his knife goes for because i think so the gun was in my right hand so i probably would have already had my left knife out and then it was the right one that i reached for when it attacked me so my left one is already out he's going to drive that straight into its arm Mm -hmm. and then with that split second that his prescience gave him which he's hoping will catch it off guard because its whole thing is it moves inhumanly quick but alistair was able to move faster because he can see you know, into the future a little bit. Um, He uses that split second to attack and, like, try and pin the arm, either pin the arm to the wall or at least do a lot of damage to that arm. Um, And because he's still really close, he, like, does that and then looks at it and then goes, who's not fast enough now? And smiles. All
0: right, you've pinned him through the arm. Puck has her very large bowie knife through his neck. And for a split second, there is no movement. For a split second, there is this sort of choking sound. And then the neck rotates. His head just looks down at you, completely ignoring the knife. Speed is subjective. And then he grabs Puck by the wrist, snaps it, grabs her by the head and throws her against the wall opposite and stands up. Puck hits the wall and drops to the ground as this figure stands. He gingerly removes the knife from his neck and holding it like it's something dirty between two fingers, he drops it on the ground and then rolls his neck and his shoulders. As you see, blood is running down the shirt um, and soaking into the bandages, but he seems not to be concerned at all. Did Puck drop the bomb? With an 11, I'll say that she still has it in her hand. She drops the ground. You are, I'm
1: like a meter and a half away. You are not far at all. He's going to move to Puck and take the bomb off her. And then just like shove her towards the stairs. Like, go.
0: Yep, she's scrabbling up as soon as she hits the ground. She's trying to get onto her feet again. So she gives him the bomb.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm going to roll an attack. Uh, and I rolled a six, but I'm going to substitute that for a nine. So again, uh, Alistair, still, he still didn't get to his other knife. So he has the bomb in his right hand and his other knife, which he's pulled out of its arm in his left hand. Or does it still have the knife in it? I would say it probably still has the knife in it. So he pulls his other knife. He pulls his the one that he usually uses in his right hand into his left hand, flicks that open, mm-hmm. closes his eyes and sees himself running in it preempting his attack and knocking the knife out of his hand and like hitting him back or something and so he corrects for that knowing which way it's going to move and i would like to push the bomb into its chest and then stab my knife through like one of the pieces of tape or like through one of the bottles or some part of the bomb and into its chest to like pin the bomb to his chest with my knife and then duck under its arm and run after Puck. You basically like catch uh, the duct tape
0: that you had used to secure the different elements of the bomb together. You get like between the duct tape and part of the actual bomb and wedge it through the knife, like wedge the knife through it uh, and into his chest. And you reel backwards and you scramble after Puck. Puck is sort of waiting for you. She's cradling her broken left arm um, and she reaches for you with her right grabs you by the hand and together you jump down the stairwell of collapsed steel uh, you crash and roll
1: Did she have the detonator for that poem or did Alistair have
0: that? Um, I would say she probably had the one for both because it doesn't really make sense that you would each have one but f- for the opposite one of the one that you are holding Uh, She rolls hard. She takes a d4 of damage, which I think you probably will too. Yep, from the jump. Only one. She rolls. Same. Lands pretty well. She flicks open the detonator and looks at you. Do it. Another explosion ripples out. This time you're sure that you got him
1: that should slow him down
0: Uh, the entire building shakes Puck begins dragging you to your feet and moving back as another dust cloud ripples out uh, and you even feel a shockwave that begins to jar you and push you backwards you're now in this lower basement level where there is still a pool of blood on the floor and now more from Heath's wounds before he was dragged away and Puck is pulling you towards
1: one of the, the cave entrances not even not even looking behind him or anything, just continues and runs.
0: You're running towards the tunnel when you hear a crash from above. And as you turn to look, Puck spins on her heel and she draws one of Heath's batons from her lower back where it had been in the tattoo uh, of her back. And she draws one of them, it's the silver tipped one. And she puts herself between you and whatever else is coming and you see emerging from the smoke and the dust, another figure. As he emerges, you see that this time he is blackened and burnt. There's almost nothing left of his shirt. There are horrible gashes all over the body, and you can see that there are gashes and holes through the bandages around his head. You see your attacker emerge from the smoke. Even as you watch, you can see these gashes begin to close up on his body. Uh, It doesn't negate the damage done to his clothing or any of these things and he's still blackened and moving very awkwardly as if bones are having to reset but he moves down into this space with you. Very clever.
1: Yeah well you know what they say about cosy weather. It's not the same without a fire right? And Alistair's gonna widen his stance and bring his fists up and get ready for a fight. Puck is doing the same. She's deliberately putting herself in
0: front of you not like directly in front of you But diagonally further forward, Alistair, the smell of smoke and burning chemicals and dust is replaced by the smell of ripening wheat, of new grass, of summer fruit. And you look behind you and you can see a green light in the tunnel. You can see a figure moving jerkily and unevenly, leaning heavily on the wall. As you turn, you can see Heath is dragging himself, using almost entirely his vertigo ability to keep himself aloft. He is moving himself down the corridor towards you and you can see that there is a ring around his neck that is glowing. Heath? You see Heath, he is bloody and bruised, caked in dirt and dry blood. You see that he is moving almost none of his limbs. He seems to be moving almost using vertigo only and sort of pushing himself along in this weird haphazard manner. And as you look, there are two figures behind him. Puck rushes forward and takes Heath's weight and lets him lean on her shoulder as she wraps an arm around his back to try and hold him
2: upright. He sways a little bit and blearily says... I thought I told you two to get out. This is this is the opposite of that. We
0: tried. We t- Yeah, we tried.
2: I'm sure you could have uh, done. Anyway, and he's going to uh, keep going with her up into the main of the room. Uh, you see,
0: Alistair, as you turn around, stepping out now into the light, there is a much bigger figure. He's a little taller than Heath and much broader. He puts a hand
2: on Puck's shoulder as he steps past her into the room. Heath cracks his neck and looks at the slowly regrowing figure in front of him and he calls out and he cracks his neck a little bit and like put as his jaw kind of clicks back into place. <coughs> so you said whatever reinforcements we bring, you'd kill them as well. Or something along those lines, something hardcore like that. I'd love to see you try that now.
0: Alistair, you recognise the first of these figures. You recognise Warwick stepping into the room. You've seen him many times, but you've never seen him like this. You've never seen him so serious. He steps into the room like a titan. You almost imagine that the ground underneath him groans with the weight as he steps forward. He's wearing his... Fairly predictable white shirt, his suspenders and trousers. But you see that he is pulling onto his hands a very heavy pair of gauntleted gloves. They're leather and steel plate with sharpened studs in the knuckles and on the fingers. He's rolling one shoulder and he says, Well, this seems like a fun tea party. We've even got the bunny boy. Heath, I think we can take it from here. Uh, And Alistair, the other figure that steps out after Heath... uh, Make a quick perception check, actually. Eleven, you are rattled and you are very close to uh, a nervous collapse. Um, But while you've never seen this person, the family resemblance is striking. You see uh, the hair... And the expression almost of Anne Bell, but you see the confident stride and something about the way that they carry themselves of Charlotte. You realize that this must be their sister, head of Tears Defense Department and all around intimidating presence. This is Emily Bell. She steps forwards, she's wearing uh, a heavy duty trousers and a heavy belt a white blouse that's tucked in and over her shoulders a leather jacket she is pulling this off and letting it drop to the floor uh, rolling up the sleeves of her shirt you can see that her face while relatively young maybe only in her her late 30s or her early 40s is prematurely lined and also scarred she has a scar running up her neck to her jaw and another one above the eye. You can see that the, her hair has been left about medium length and tied back into a very uh, multi purpose, out of the way sort of ponytail. You also can't help but notice the impressive long sword that's hanging from her belt. It sort of hangs almost in the small of her back because it's so long, it's almost as tall as she is. She steps forward as well. When the fairy's call, you can't exactly refuse. She looks at you, Alistair. Good job. You've kept him busy for as long as we could have asked, but let us take it from him.
1: We did everything we could.
0: Don't worry, you can relax now. Look after Heath. As soon as you meet her eyes, you have this strange sensation like everything is gonna be okay. There's something about the supreme confidence in her expression. You can't help but trust her when she says that there's nothing to worry about.
1: Alistair nods and smiles and he says, Thank you. His hands stop being fists for the first time in like 15 minutes. He relaxes a little bit and he takes one last look at the blackened shadowy figure at the other end of the corridor, turns away and walks over to help Puck with Heath.
0: Warwick rolls his other shoulder and then clicks his fists together, making a metallic clink. And then he bolts forwards. You've seen him training, Alistair, but this is is fast even for him. For a man this size, he moves with incredible grace and speed. This blackened, burnt figure barely has time to react as Warwick pounces forwards and begins a flurry of blows. He's jabbing and swinging hooks left and right, He's giving no room for this guy to get away. Even as he begins to back up, Warwick just keeps pushing in. The other figure with the ears, he keeps bringing his arms up, trying to deflect blows or dodge to the side, but Warwick is going so fast and so hard that there is nowhere to run. He's just taking one punch after another, another to the face, another to the body, one to the top of the leg, an uppercut to the jaw.
2: Heath sways a little bit as he's nearly passing out and says... Come on, Warwick, you can do better than that. And he's going to, like, pass out onto Park. Stop. Stop trying to... <sighs> he never
0: learns, does he? As you say that, Warwick kind of goes, eh? And, like, looks up his shoulder slightly. And just as he does, he takes um, a fist to the face. But you realise that there seem to be claws uh, in this man's hands now. And he takes the claws through the cheek. And the claws come back out and then into the stomach as this blackened figure barrels to the side and away from Warwick, escaping the corner that he's trying to pin him into. Now he's between Emily and Warwick in the middle of the room. Emily reaches behind her and draws the longsword. It's an interesting process because she has to move the sheath as well as the sword in order to get it out. The sword is almost as tall as her, it reaches her shoulder level. It seems to be... Alistair, you know a little bit about these sort of things. You're interested in weapons. This seems to be a two-handed longsword of a German design. And from the best of your ability to tell, it doesn't look like a reproduction. This looks like the real deal. On this, Emily is quite small, just like her sisters. She's not particularly tall or particularly uh, athletically built. So her hands look like a child's on this sword. The cross guard is incredibly long with uh, like a beaten steel winding around to provide more protection. And the blade itself is extremely long. And you notice now it's dark. It's almost like it's soot blackened. And as she draws it and brings it up, two-handed beside her head in a ready position and lowers her stance a black flame blossoms across the blade and begins to hiss and smoke. You see uh, this figure in the middle, the man with the ears, looks warily at her and you can see uh, there's blood dripping from underneath the bandages on his face. And then he dashes forwards trying to go low, but she steps in first and brings the sword swinging down. She starts lashing out with incredible practiced maneuvers with these tight drilled sword work maneuvers. The blade keeps flashing forwards, always point first. She's never using the blade uh, in a chopping motion, but always in this sort of network of stabs that keep him pinned in. Anytime he tries to move, he meets the sword. Anytime he tries to attack, he meets the cross guard. She keeps him pinned in and moving and then Warwick hits him from behind with a barrage of attacks. Between the two of them, he is cut, he is beaten, he is bruised and bleeding. The figure flashes out a hand for Warwick's belt. Warwick is wearing his standard utility belt with um, a bunch of different things on it that he would use in his work. And it grabs a flashbang grenade. And before Warwick can uh, get a hold of him, he flicks, the the pin out and lets go and dives to the ground. Uh, there is another bang and in this smaller space, the flash is hard to avoid and still harder the sound. And you see Alistair as you kind of cover your eyes out of instinct, uh, you see the shadowy figure dart into the tunnels and disappear. Warwick straightens up uh, and he's like smacking the side of his head trying to get his ears to stop ringing. He's like, well, that's not very sporting. Uh, and he kind of rolls his shoulders again. and goes, just getting warmed up. I think it's time for a round two. And he starts uh, marching towards the tunnel. Emily rests the sword gently, uh, the sword tip on her boot gently and takes a breather. Warwick, I think it's best if we let him go for now. We're here to retrieve our people. I have no doubt that we're going to see him again. Still, I'm going to take a personal interest in that one. She turns to you and Puck. I think it's time we get you home. You've been through enough.
1: Alistair looks at her, kind of doing his best to remain calm and not get too overwhelmed. He nods and he looks at Puck and in a lower voice, not deliberately hiding it from the others, but more just speaking directly to Puck. He goes, are you okay? Uh, Puck is supporting
0: most of the now collapsed Heath's weight. She looks like Alistair pale. would like step over and help her with him to like lower yeah. him to the ground. You lower him to the ground together. Puck looks pale and shaken. Uh, she's still holding Puck's uh, Heath's baton. She looks at you and then looks over at uh, Warwick and Emily and she grins and says, yeah, I'm all right. I think I know what I want to be when I grow up now. Oh, yeah? What's that? She kind <laughs> of just like... Looks at you confused and then just sort of nods her head at the others. Alistair smiles.
1: He's like, yeah, fair enough. How do you know how he did that? Like pointing to Heath? Did Did he used to do that all the time or? Uh, I don't know. As
0: you're having this conversation, Warwick bends down and picks up the little glowing medallion that Heath had discarded. It seems to be flashing still. He okay. strides across the room uh, and kneels down next to you two. It's all right. I'll take it from here. Uh, and he sort of shuffles Heath into his arms and then stands up, carrying him almost like a child, and begins marching. And then he gets to the the stairwell and goes, "What the bloody hell happened to the stairs?" Dark Tides is Chester Lyddon as Heath O'Sullivan, BJ Ingate as Alistair Stern, and me, Aubrey Lyddon, as everyone else. This has been a really fun time to record, and we hope that you've enjoyed it. If you do enjoy our show, uh, you can check us out on most forms of social media. We are on Facebook, on Twitter, on Reddit, and we also have a Patreon. Uh, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's a platform where listeners can support the shows and other projects that they enjoy uh, you pledge a certain amount every month and for your generosity you receive a bunch of other bonus material. In our case we have two different tiers, so two different uh, levels of support. They include different things. Some of the things they include is a bonus uh, after show discussion where we talk about the characters the plot, we answer questions from patrons, uh, we do all sorts of fun things like that. We also have a bonus mini series and monthly bonuses that only come out on Patreon for our supporters there. So if if you're interested and you want a little more dark tides goodness in your life go check out our patreon and we will see you next week with another installment until then stay safe have a good week
1: sorry goodbye <laughs> baby i don't know <laughs> we, we apologize uh get out of here you've got yeah.
0: things to do
1: go on go on go on just bye i mean at the very least like listen to a different episode or something like there's, there's no point hanging over. around nothing. it's over no wait d- come on we we can't finish till you leave